I wanted to quote a pretty famous saying from Donald Knuth, um, which is, uh, he said we should forget about small efficiencies, say about 97% of the time. Premature optimization is the root of all evil. However, I think it's, it's also useful to know the next sentence he said, yet we should not pass up our opportunities in that critical 3%. So he's saying 97% of the time, if you start thinking about, you know, can I shrink this thing? Can I tweak this thing? Can I have the inner loop a little bit faster? 97% um, of the time, you're going to go off the wrong way. You're going to make it too complicated. It's a bad idea. Um, and uh, unlike most statistics, I'm sure he just made that 97% up. But he's he's saying there's... Some of the time, it is critical. Welcome to the second episode of Optimize All The Things podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Volkov. And I'm your host, Bartek Potka. Optimize All The Things is a podcast where we talk about performance improvements, but also valuable optimizations to software development processes like testing, debugging, running, production, open sourcing, or soft skills. Today, we have a very special episode for you. Uh, we have our first guest at the podcast, uh, uh, Brian from Grafana Labs, is going to talk uh, to us about uh, optimizing efficiency on complex problems. He's going to cover his work on Prometheus, and uh, we're going to talk about general optimizations in uh, complex systems, open source and closed source. Yeah, it's super, super nice to have him. Um, we are kind of together in Prometheus team, um, which you might not know, uh, but you will know more uh, later in the podcast. Um, so yeah, it's open source, it's in Golang, and it's a you know monitoring database, so hopefully we are uh, interesting to you. But uh, before we dive deeper into this topic, let's first talk about some news. We have had some uh, development on uh, the whole Docker um, issue that was uh, happening uh, for the past couple of weeks. Uh, if you remember the last episode, we talked about how Docker stopped uh, kind of uh, or started sunsetting the free tier for teams. Um, but uh, since then, uh, they have kind of completely uh, decided to stop this and uh, they are basically giving back uh, the free access to uh, teams. So this kind of a complete uh, 180 turn on uh, their in-show in -show idea. Uh, so, yeah, that's quite interesting. And I, I think there are a couple of lessons to learn here, but w what made, like, what impressed me the most was uh, how um, straightforward their communication was. There was no, you know, fake apologies or anything. They just said, yeah. okay, we thought it was miscommunication. It wasn't, so we are backing down. Yeah, that's, what, su what's that's super nice. Well, what's your opinion on this? Uh, I mean, first of all, they are sunsetting the sunsetting process, right? So <laughs> it's, it's really, really funny. Well, the lesson here is to not, I mean, wait for news to soak in, I guess, because we prematurely recommended to, to do some action, but this action is no longer needed. But well, maybe we contributed to the to the fact that people uh, yeah, were upset about this. Um, yeah, I think it was very clear, very transparent. Um, but then also, yeah, why they did it or what's next, right? So so they did that for a certain purpose and that was kind of lack of sustainability. Yep. Like, 
are we sure this will not happen again or, or things like that so uh, let's see how it goes um, but yeah you don't need to do any anything <laughs> so far yeah would you host your next project on uh, docker hub yeah but also i would put to you know um, google registry and and quay so red hat registry um, just to have backup plans because many many times in in uh, projects we maintain tunnels and prometheus you know uh quay was down for two days or docker hub was down for some time and we could just we, this the, this were the moments where we kind of like added the the, the the multiple sources so people can choose from yeah nice that's a good suggestion what else has been happening last week Right, so one interesting uh, news from uh, KubeCon or Cloud Native Computing Foundation. So we are, you know, active participant, or at least I am a participant and, and kind of like, or well, I'm speaking and organizing certain sessions on KubeCon. And this year, KubeCon numbers are pretty crazy. So KubeCon Europe, um, Amsterdam, in Amsterdam is happening in April, mid of mid April, and um, it's huge. There apparently there was already ten. 10,000 10, people registered in person and much more for virtual and um, it's sold out like there is literally no more tickets left and what's really special for me was that uh, we were kind of like communicating with with CNCF for our sessions because I'm maintaining observability days uh, collocated day you know we expected to have a drop down in numbers of attendees yeah. uh, because of, you know, like um, macroeconomic um, situation, laid-offs and, you know, kind of like travel budgets are capped. And um, and actually, I th- I seen so many people having trouble, for example, to have visa, right, like for from mm-hmm. India or so. So we actually, or like since here, decided to actually like even shorten the KubeCon from five days to four. And yep. have like a different logic just to prepare for like a different situation. And apparently what? Like it's full. It's more than full. So <laughs> it's gonna be crazy. And I wonder if you if you'd have to guess, like what why do you think this is happening? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. It must be just cloud native becoming a must in every company, right? And uh, everyone needs to upskill their game in cloud native. So what what's what's the a better way than going to you know the most popular conference on cloud native uh, there. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> do you think that's uh, that's true? Or? Yeah, I mean definitely cloud uh, transformation is is still ongoing and and you know it will be, uh, but I wonder if there are kind of like this macroeconomic um, you know influences on that. So one thing in my opinion is that people because of travel budget is smaller, people actually choose one conference per year only. Mm. So when you do that, you choose the best one or like the most popular <laughs> one, right? So it's kind of like this um, limitation situation that that makes one conference to to be a monopoly, right? And takes. Yeah. Uh, so let's see how other numbers of other conferences are. Um, are, are shaping, but but my guess would be that people fluctuate to this one thing that will um, be the most, you know, um, proactive and productive and, uh, and kind of useful and give the value. And also people maybe, you know, um, unsure about their, their future or the, their business future. They mm-hmm. want to double down on selling or finding a new employer. So I think this this might be it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's but a very good point. Let's see. Um, by the way, um, I mean, I'm planning to 
um, maybe record some kind of pieces of podcasts in, um, in, in KubeCon in Amsterdam. So if you want to be our guest, let, let me know. Um, we, I will be running with microphone, essentially. That's my plan. <laughs> Uh, okay, what's anything else interesting happened? Yeah, there were a couple of uh, announcements around uh, AI, as always these past uh, several weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one that uh, seemed quite interesting is uh, GitHub announced uh, their plans for uh, the future of GitHub Copilot. They call it uh, Copilot X, and it actually comes with a, a couple of sub-announcements. So uh, the first one is Copilot X, where you can basically chat with uh, pretty much ChatGPT within your ID, which is quite powerful. It has full context of all the files on your system and so on and so forth, so it can give pretty kind of uh, uh, structured uh, recommendations. But there are a couple of more sub-announcements there. So one is Copilot Voice, which basically allows you to code just with your voice. You say what functions you want to see and it writes the function for you, which uh, can be quite interesting, especially for like accessibility, I guess, use cases. You have Copilot Docs, which uh, uh, as far as I understand, it looks up the docs of uh, whatever tool or language or library you want, and you can just uh, kind of query them using a natural language. So you just say, oh, how do I uh, center a diff using a Tailwind CSS, for example, and it will give you some suggestions. Um, they are also compiled for PRs, so something to help you write your PRs <laughs> if you're struggling with that. And finally, Copilot CLI. So if you forget how to get pods using uh, kubectl, you can ask it. So yeah, wh what do you think? Which one is more most exciting for you, Bartek? Oh, man. I would I would need to honestly try those things to see how they are useful, right? But I I, I, I was so shocked to hear that you could program with your voice and I would love to try this because you know in these days you know we're optimizing our kind of like keyboard you know like skills and I always was shit in this like very very slow um, I'm always using mouse as well which which is very you know lame <laughs> these days as well you should use Vim and only keyboard and now I can just ditch all of those and just use my voice. And I will definitely try that. Um, although I would need to learn how to pronounce in English those like bracket, open parentheses. And yeah, so I would need to <laughs> yeah, be, yeah, learn something new. But yeah. that's amazing. Another thought I have is um, about this documentation and really anything uh, that AI will consume to give you this answer. And the question is like, should we at some point optimize our documentation, our code, our comments for AI consumer, right? Because we, we for example, like, um, I don't know, any, any kind of information, like even logging, like observability, we have a machine learning, or sorry, machine readable output, which is kind of structured like JSON with some fields. Uh, so it's easier kind of to navigate by computer and then, or some APIs, and then we have human-readable um, data where we kind of maybe format that nicely so it's readable, it's concise, and and you, you know humans can 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 read a lot. And now, what we use for AI, I guess that human part, but maybe there are certain <laughs> words or certain wording or certain kind of structure that will boost AI, kind of like the uh, you know I don't know like uh, information richness yeah, yeah. or whatever, right, or correctness. 
Yeah, very interesting. So kind of like uh, search engine optimization. And, exactly. Uh, like imagine, but imagine it will be less readable for humans because, for example, <laughs> you have to repeat this word hmm. five times, so it's be higher. It will be higher on uh, Bing results or I don't know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Google results yeah. uh, results at some point. So, so yeah, it's it's really. Uh, but yeah, we'll have another another show for just AI. And it's coming. It's already scheduled. So stay tuned. Awesome. Uh, there were some more news about AI uh, in the past week. Uh, ChatGPT announced uh, plugins coming to its ecosystem. This is actually a huge thing. Uh, first, you will be able to, you know, uh, book your flights using uh, ChatGPT. But I think the biggest thing is that, um, like, one of the problems with ChatGPT is that it doesn't always have the latest data, right? The yeah. training data set has a cutoff date. Uh, for like two years in the past or something like that but with plugins it's c they can act as like the eyes and ears of ChatGPT. you can interact with uh, various different uh, providers to basically fetch the latest data and uh, you can use uh, like ChatGPT as a tool to summarize it to query it to make sense of it so i think that can be super powerful and it seems like a a, a plugin system where Pretty much any developer can uh, build their own plugin, so I'm super excited to see what uh, people will come up with. Yeah, wow. I'm. What's the end-to-end -end test I can use to <laughs> double-check AI will be kind of you know reliable and repeatedly do what I want and not be flaky, right? So I it's it's because like when you in the, I saw the spec API spec for that. Yeah. It's Like it's it's just. It's just description. <laughs> it's just description, right? It's, there is no like ta tagging or metadata mm. or like fields or protobufs. No. So I think, you know, generally my thought, uh, like some, there's impressive computational, you know, um, kind of like glue um, that might change, you know, how we write plugin, how we format data, right, these days. Because honestly, there are lots of jobs. Um, that you know converts PDF to docs and other data data type to another data, and if I, this is definitely where AI could could be very quick on 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 um, you creating this code, right? And that's uh, that was the news part. Let's jump straight into uh, yeah discussion around optimizing efficiency on complex projects. Hello everyone, uh, we are here with Brian. Brian is a distinguished engineer at uh, Grafana Labs and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, optimizing efficiency in complex projects. Uh, Brian, thanks a lot for uh, coming to the show. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. Would you like, would you like to introduce uh, yourself uh, in a couple of words? Uh, okay, well, yeah, I, I, I always call myself a programmer because I don't, you know, I'm kind of, the, the distinguished engineer title uh, just kind of means I'm old. <laughs> um, it means I got a lot of gray hair and I've, I've been, I think I've been programming for money for, um, 40 years and, um, I, I did 20, 20 years of that working for investment banks, a very high pressure, uh, situation where everything has to go as fast as possible. Um, and then more recently I've gone back to the startup world where, uh, cost of ownership is important yeah. um but we'll get into we'll get into a lot of those details uh like you say i work at grafana labs i am working on the storage of metrics logs and traces 
which are the, the open source projects, um, Mimir, Loki, and Temple. And you are a maintainer of Prometheus as well, right? That's right, yeah. I, I joined the Prometheus team maybe in, in the last year, certainly. I've been, I've been working around the software for a long time, but I was invited to join that. Um, I, uh, yeah, I was, a, I was a maintainer on the CNI a couple of few years ago, the uh, common network interface or container network interface. Um, so that was oh, very nice. different. So Bartek, uh, why, why did we pick uh, this topic for today? Why, why optimizing efficiency on complex projects? Exactly right. First, first of all, our podcast is called Optimizing All the Things. And, <laughs> you know, I'm keeping reminding everyone it's not only about performance. However, optimizing is kind of correlated with efficiency and we are kind of uh, really fun of making things faster and cheaper to use. So, um, yeah, we, we would love to talk about some, you know, starting point of optimization efficiency. And it just happened that uh, Brian and together with Generally Prometheus team, we kind of improving Prometheus efficiency um, and having some cool, I would say, innovations in this space, um, especially in Golang, uh, because Prometheus is written in Golang. Um, and third reason why we are talking here about optimizations is that I think optimization efficiency is not very accessible for people. It's not the same as adding any other feature. Or am I wrong? Would it, would you agree with me, Brian? Is it is it easy or, or hard? Oh, yeah, it's a good question. I um, uh, I've actually uh, taught a, a kind of workshop a, a couple of times uh, about optimizing in in Go, and I. I do find a lot of people find it helpful to have a process. So a lot of people are not really familiar with a with a process. Um, some people are do it all the time, and maybe those people can't imagine why it's hard. But um, yeah, I think I think the uh, I mean the the process I I basically advocate is is you start you start with measuring you. Um, you get you get some measurements. The one thing you do not do is start with a guess. Uh, you know, it's it's or actually, I guess the worst thing is to start with a fix. You know, people want to start coding, yeah, and um, they have some idea of what's wrong. They want to start coding, uh, but yeah, start start with measuring, and uh, and then the next thing you need is some kind of hypothesis of what the problem is, and and I call it that because. Again, most people think they know the answer, but that, that's something I've learned over years and years and years. You're almost always wrong. Um, if you make any any kind of assumptions about what's going on uh, from a performance point of view, very, very likely to be wrong. So you have an idea, test the idea. You, 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 uh, in Go, it's quite nice to, to set up a benchmark uh, that's, that's built into the Go um, runtime is you can have a little benchmark. It will run your program a certain number of times to try and make it run for, for one second by default, or you can say 10 seconds or something like that. And that way you can repeatedly experiment with the, with the code. Um, so that kind of process of measuring to begin with, you get an idea, you get a hypothesis, um, you get a you you get yourself into a position where you can repeatedly test the hypothesis, and then you make your changes. Um, at that point, I guess I would argue, 
it's it's just a matter of sticking at it. You know, you have some idea, you have some tools like profilers to get into uh, showing you where the time is going. Um, but there's, there's so, so much like, detail then. Sorry. I... No, no, no worries. No worries. Yeah, I just want to kind of not dive too deeply because yeah. it would be amazing <laughs> to kind of compare with you know, with other things we might understand at the beginning of the software development, you know, learning curve, for example, like, how is this different than building the feature? In some way, when you're adding a feature, there is a bit of experimentation. You think what functionality you want, but then maybe the API is not readable, so you can kind of repeat and, and try. So there's always some experimentation. It's kind of similar, no? Yeah, I, I think when, you, when you're trying to add a feature... Um... You have some idea of what it's going to look like or work like, and you you kind of drive towards that, and uh, and and while it's not working, that's pretty clear. And then it starts working, um, and then maybe at that point, you 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 want to drive yourself to think about readability and and usability and so forth. Um, it's. Uh, the one thing about about performance uh, that I sometimes say is nice is you don't you don't really have to debate it with anyone. You know, it either goes faster or it doesn't. And the the requirements are usually to do exactly the same thing it did before. So um, so you don't really have yeah, to have but a meeting in, about it. In pro in practice, this is not as easy, right? Because no. then it feels like it's a number, but the number depends on certain feature or maybe depends on hardware and this costs. So it gets very complex very quickly, right? Yeah, and, and a, a, a primary trade-off is, is also readability or, or understandability. Um, you know, you generally have to work with other people. I mean, Prometheus is a, a, a good example. There's um, There's a lot of people, a lot of maintainers work on the code, a lot of people on projects downstream um, and uh, so maybe you could make something go faster at the cost of having really really complicated code and that that would definitely be a discussion right I want to also go back to to the statement you made that especially in Golang it feels like people don't know this process mm. of benchmarking first and then optimizing trying well first maybe it's finding the bottleneck then optimizing with your hypothesis then benchmarking again this is called in my book we call it like TFBO so test fix benchmark optimize so to make sure it's kind of benchmark first and test first um, however, is it really a Go related? Like it feels like in every other language, it's exactly the same process, no? Yeah, it's it is basically the same process. It, it's it's nice that the uh, template of a benchmark is built into the Go runtime, um, so you can you can expect everyone is going to come at benchmarks with the same the same outline, the same way of doing things. That's nice. Um, also, having a profiler built in is is somewhat unusual with Go. Um, so more more stuff is kind of set up for you. I I spent a long time working in C plus plus and and it was kind of uh, uh, well also that was twenty years ago. You you generally had to pay for tools in those days. Um, so trying to find. Uh, uh, profiling tools, um, trying to get the, the budget yeah. from management to pay for them. That that was all a, a different world 
in those days. In the in the open source world, it's a little bit easier. Yeah, and then it's it's also funny because all those things you mentioned, it it means it feels like Golang is very much pro like ready for efficiency job, right? To, to, to optimization job. Like it has all those things built in. However, I agree with you, like many developers still don't know exactly how to use them and optimization feels like very remote skill to, to like feature development. I wonder if it's something to do with like generally the Go scope. It, it, it kind of lures people from Java and maybe .NET where you want to have a little bit more performance, but also have very high readability and, and just do the work. So maybe people just don't know the processes from the, even from, from different languages they're coming from, right? Um, any thoughts about that? Like it, it's still like, it feels like Golang, Golang is making so much to, 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 to have those optimization processes just easier with micro benchmarks, profiling, pprof also. Uh, just still, you know, only few people are reviewing your your PRs, Brian, to to, to kind of improve Prometheus, right? I have a, a quick opinion on that. Uh, I think that uh, the reason why a lot of people don't uh, know so much about uh, the whole process of uh, optimizing performance is because uh, usually the business needs uh, don't really put performance first in many cases. So a lot of the just work items that people are working on are connected with uh, pushing features, just feature after feature. But obviously there are a lot of uh, products and a lot of projects that uh, performance is like super critical. And w one example is Prometheus, right? It, it is supposed to handle like huge uh, amounts of data. Um, a lot of people are using it and so on and so forth. And I think in general, a lot of projects that are built in Go share the similar characteristic like Kubernetes, Docker, uh, which basically they require this scale and have a lot of people looking into them. So that's why there are a lot of kind of optimization focused uh, contributions to these projects. I mean, yeah. we want more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, uh, I wanted to quote a pretty famous saying from Donald Knuth, um, which is, uh, he said we should Forget about small efficiencies, say about 97% of the time. Premature optimization is the root of all evil. Um, and I, I think a lot of people take that to heart. And uh, and I, I would I would agree with, with Knuth. Uh, however, I think it's, it's also useful to know the next sentence. He said, yet we should not pass up our opportunities in that critical 3%. So he's saying 97% of the time, if you start thinking about, you know, can I shrink this thing? Can I tweak this thing? Can I have the inner loop a little bit faster? 97% um, of the time, you're going to go off the wrong way. You're going to make it too complicated. It's a bad idea. Um, and uh, unlike most statistics, I'm sure he just made that 97% up. But he's he's saying <laughs> there's... Some of the time it is critical, and uh, and the way that translates um, to a human being, they have to wait for something to happen from the computer. Uh, sometimes it's it's just like a little bit sluggish. It just kind of feels bad, and and if the wait is is down kind of fifty milliseconds or something like that, it just that's just that's that's kind of a barely perceptible. You can feel it's a little bit bad. Um, and sometimes you have to wait minutes for something to happen. And, 
and that that leads the human into a completely different way of working you know if you if you have to wait 10 minutes for the computer to come back to you you're going to go off and surf the web you're going to make a coffee or something you're you're going to lose your train of thought um so so for those reasons i i i do think performance uh in the right points is is very very important um yeah thank you thank you for bringing this i think this is a very famous old i would say quote that um i'm not, I, I wonder if new programmers are, are familiar with i was kind of like doing my research for for my book and there are cool um, resources that counter attack this statement right that shows that donald knuth maybe meant something else i mean something more that hey we focus on the first sentence, but there are kind of more to that. <laughs> there is Randall Hyde, The Fallacy of Premature Optimization. Uh, it's so amazing article that kind of points that, I mean, sure, premature optimization is bad, but if you don't think about performance and efficiency when designing software, sometimes it's too late to add um, certain things or too much work, right? So there is kind of two extremes. And honestly, um, my my belief, and I was kind of doing this talk as well a couple of times, is that we are, you know, have so much content, so much different information going on, so much complexity in our systems. Sometimes it's very easy to be just shallow, just shallow user using, you know, just just trying to, you know, we have kind of multiple options for one one kind of thing as well. So we tend to just um, not dive into code and optimize something, but rather replace it with other things. Like, okay, re let's rewrite everything in Rust. Or <laughs> let's use uh, this solution than this uh, for service mesh because we have so many options. And in this version, Linkerd was faster 1%. And it's just, um, it's premature scalability, in my opinion, premature jump, project jumping in some cases. Um, especially with people who are coming to SRE to development from ops and sysadmins, isn't so? Yeah, two extremes, and we need a balance, right? Yeah. Well, engineering is all about trade-offs. That's that's another of my favorite sayings. So, um, I think I think the the better engineers realize that, and and it's it's always it's always a debate. It's always a trade-off. We can do more of this and less of this. Um, you you mentioned scalability, uh, which is that's kind of one way to go at at speed. If you if your goal is speed, maybe you can get to a certain speed by running the thing on twenty computers instead of one. Um, or maybe if you really analyze what the one computer is doing, you could get it to go as fast as if you had twenty computers running it. You know, those are the kind of the extreme cases and you actually have to engineer things differently to, depending on which direction you're going in um so it, it is a it is a complex field yeah yeah and and this is alternative right it's uh, there are so many alternatives to just jumping into code and making it faster on the code level or algorithm level mm. and um and i think prometheus is to me, for me personally, Prometheus was amazing project to learn about those trade-offs because Prometheus is known from not being distributed mm -hmm. and by design. And it's both amazing and bad in the same time. <laughs> and I think as a maintainer of Prometheus, and you, Brian, I wonder if you share the same feeling, I think it's a great separation of concerns when we're, where we focus on... Uh, how to be the best kind of mono monolith, let's say, database, 
however, allowing integration that will distribute this if needed, right? What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, it, it, is, it is something that, that Prometheus achieved really well was, was to focus and, and solving a certain part of the problem space. Um, so it wasn't really designed for storing months and years of data. It wasn't designed for, for dealing with a billion time series. It, it was designed kind of in the middle. It was designed for like a couple of weeks of data from a few million time series. And the maintainers, the, the custodians of that project really stuck to that, which I admire. And, and I thought, uh, I think it's a great thing, part of the success of the Prometheus project. Um, yeah, ability to say no to Right, yeah, I have to say no, absolutely. Um, now, uh, I, I think all three of us in our past have worked on projects which took Prometheus and distributed it, uh, which is which is Thanos and, and Cortex. And now, now I work on Mimir, which is uh, what, what Grafana Labs took, took on from Cortex. Um, so... Yeah, I get I get to live in both of those camps, and uh, I, I I when I'm when I put my hat on as a Prometheus maintainer, I I try to stay true to that heritage and that uh, that set of choices, and then I I put my hat on as uh, Grafana Labs as a Mimir maintainer. Then we are complaining. <laughs> well, it, it's all about scalability. It's all about reliability. Um, trying yeah. to uh, trying to just kind of deal with with hundreds of millions of metrics from from different customers um it it is a different set of trade-offs a different set of skills as well uh yeah distributed systems um you you have to you have to think about things in in a different way often right and it's so funny because you can use mimir or Thanos for your 10 million of series and it would just work fine. And then you can use Prometheus for the same thing. And just because of distributed manner of things, just because it's more Mimi or Thanos has to be more complex for those scalable cases, it will be probably like a couple of times more expensive to run and, and harder to run than just Prometheus. So this is where it gets really funky. But I admire like where I'm running, for, I don't know, I was developing Thanos, for example. Like I was admiring that I was picking uh Prometheus code, Prometheus database, and it was working, you know, very well, very optimal. It was very efficient, so I could build on top of that. It was my foundation for distributed thing. Isn't isn't that a good part of of Prometheus? And why, for example, you are making optimizations to that? Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, computers for the last uh, 10, 15 years have had multiple cores, so they're a little bit like a distributed system anyway in inside that one uh, program and um, and go has these facilities like like go routines which um which we use to parallelize certain things inside prometheus so there's a there's a bit of that going on um but then when when we want to spread the computation over many machines we we have a whole new set of things to think about and I think often for efficiency we're we're needing to do them differently, and and there's there's kind of a backlog of things. Um, the way that that data is transported around between the different processes is is something we're still kind of catching up with, in in Mimir at least. 
Um, uh, it's it's one of the, the nice things actually. A little, little bit of of kind of friendly competition between, for instance, Thanos and and Mimir that that will get an idea on one project or get an idea on the the other project and um, see which one comes out best. Definitely, it was healthy. It was very healthy, and um, and and having Prometheus to kind of like balance that out and also. Again, give a foundation and, and maybe, you know, whenever the idea was, was useful, we kind of contributed that to Prometheus so everybody could share that. So um, a lot of good stuff. I wanted to kind of like maybe change the gears and, and kind of move into specifics of what we have done to Prometheus recently, or actually you designed most of uh, those performance improvements. Um, I wonder, you know, how it started? Why you even like focus on this? Like what's, what was your trigger for, you know, focusing on this? Um, so it's almost always a profile. I'm, I'm looking at a profile and, and for anyone who's, who's kind of never, never come across that idea, the, um, what I mean by that is, is I'm using a tool which will inspect what's going on as I run the program and then and then give me a readout so that I can see where most of the time is spent or where most of the energy goes in, in running the program. Let's, let's try not, maybe not much go much more detailed than that. But that's what I mean when I say profiler. Um, why am I looking at the profiler? It tends to be because a customer is complaining. Um, or sometimes I'm complaining about a customer, uh, you know, because we, the two sides of it are, we could be spending a lot on computers to try and go at a certain speed or, um, or the customer is, is waiting a long time to get their answer. Uh, and, and we're, we're kind of balancing that point, but yeah, it, it very often, uh, starts there and, um, and I go look at it because I have a lot of experience of, of looking at profiles, looking at performance, and because I like doing it. And um, and I see something, you know, I see I see some chunk. Um, I mean, you, first of all, you look at the big, the biggest numbers are the usually the most interesting, but quite often in in Prometheus, the the biggest numbers have already been attacked. Uh, exactly, the, the biggest numbers have had a lot of work put into them and uh, so yeah it could be something smaller down the scale something that's that's shows up as as 10 percent of the total or something like that and yeah but something will catch my eye basically is is usually the answer something catches my eye and i think ah i have an idea about that and just to be clear like you look on those profiles because Maybe customers had problem with Prometheus or projects that depends on Prometheus. Yeah, more the more the latter. Um, we... So this is interesting, right? So we share at the end. We have to go to the root cause of 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 what's the efficiency bottleneck, and sometimes it's Prometheus, sometimes it's Golang it's itself, right? Because we you kind of fixed Golang in in some proportions as well. Yeah, I mean there was one uh, one time we we. Um... Somebody came on Slack and they they said this one query is using three hundred CPUs, and uh, uh, so I gave I gave a talk about this at um, Fosdem last year. Uh, if if you want to look up the video, but but basically that that ended up with me optimizing the regex packet, the regular expression package inside Go itself, um, 
because we the first thing we knew is this one query was running on 300 CPUs and um, and then we could see from the profile it was inside uh, the regexp and um, and the, the first thing that came into my head is well I you know this is obviously very simple um, because I'm, I'm I'm like that I don't kind of think things through uh, of course, it's it's not simple. It's it's one of the most complicated things. The Go um, regular expression library is one of the most complicated things I've ever looked at. Really? Um, okay. Uh, it's an amazing piece of engineering. But it it turned out that I could I could make some improvements and. Um, uh, okay, so so let's stop right now because there are so many. I mean, two major lessons from for myself, for example. Like first of all, the root cause might be very very deep. The yeah. bottleneck, maybe the majority of your CPU time or memory allocations, whatever you're optimizing, might be very, very deep. So don't be encouraged, discouraged, sorry, to, to not, to, for example, like be afraid of chasing this, right? So, okay, you are kind of in, around Prometheus ecosystem, so doing work there maybe wasn't that hard, but then jumping to Golang itself, that's amazing work and, 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 and took a lot of, again, courage. And second lesson for me is that, you know, it's complex thing. It has to work for so many people. And yet it was possible to find maybe some naive implementation somewhere. So always be hopeful to, to, to sometimes it's easier than we think, right? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think as, a, as if getting into it, you need to go from a piece of information the profiler will give you, which is like, look at this line you know you, you can go line by line in the source code you can say this is a this is a hot spot in the code so you can get to a line and then you have to understand uh and there's there's maybe a lot of learning um if you're a beginner uh, the, there's a lot of different pieces of learning where you get into well what exactly is going on on that line you know is it is it copying a lot of data because the, that's that's what's implied by the um, by the code, or or is it uh, uh, memory allocation? That's that's one of the big bugbears. Um, usually costs a lot more than you think. Um, you know what? It, what exactly? What is it about that line that that ends up being slow? That that can be a learning exercise. And and for me, I'm, I learn. I learn stuff every week for sure in in this area I, I'm continuously learning continuously um, drilling into things and going oh, yeah but why um, yeah and that's that's the key thing like you're asking this question why something is slow yeah but you might realize later on that it's not slow it's actually the fastest it could be unless I'm rewriting in assembly or doing something crazy so might might be something yeah so it's hard even to say if something is slow unless you try to understand if something could be removed essentially right? yeah Some or, or it, it be might removed. be getting used in the wrong way so the one yeah. line might be perfectly fine on its own but somehow the program manages to call, go through that one line a hundred million times and and now your question is well is is that reasonable you know do i have 100 million pieces of data that i'm dealing with or has something gone wrong um you know at a, at a higher level that means i've 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 come into this code more than i really needed to 
is it is it so in my again <laughs> i'm sorry to kind of like um mentioning my book again but like in my book i also <laughs> you have a book uh, yeah i kind of wrote one it's called efficient go yeah but uh, you i kind of try to split the the optimization uh, flow into different levels as well. So coding level, there's also compiler level and there is algorithm level, let's say, or data structures. And it feels like what you said is exactly that. It's this code line, we can make, you know, on a compile level or coding level, we can kind of make it faster, use maybe, you know, dedicated CPU registry or whatever. Uh, however, the algorithm might be, you know, there might be better algorithm, more efficient algorithm that even uses less this this kind of line. Do you use this mechanism in the categorization in your workflow or not really? Yes. Um, yeah, I, 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 I did want to I did want to stress that the understanding why, you know, is, is the key point you you. Um, and again, you formulate hypothesis. You know, well, I think it's because of the maybe because of the algorithm. You you have you have an idea, and then um, it is relatively rare that these days that you can find a, a better algorithm. In you know, in the sort of traditional, in the sense that 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 people uh, learn up algorithms to go for a job interview. In in that sense, that there's kind of books of them. Um, Especially a big, a big system like Prometheus, um, people probably came before you and and they read the same book and they, uh, you know, the the there's probably a good algorithm in use already. So that, in my experience, that's that's relatively rare. Um, you know, uh, years, decades ago, um, it was more likely that I could find someone using an inefficient sort algorithm you know this this is something that actually happened to me long long time ago when i could i could go to the the book and and um uh i really liked uh, shell's sort which is not a very popular one these days but it's yeah. it's very simple um yeah. but yeah nowadays so many libraries you know if you if if somebody's sorting data they're probably using quick sort it's probably quick you know, you probably can't do a lot better. There are, so you're saying that algorithm changing algorithms or optimizing algorithm is rarely, um, rarely needed. Well, yeah, rarely a win. Uh, I think I'd put it that way. Obviously, it depends on on the case, right? But um, but the the stuff that you find in in libraries and standard libraries generally very well done. Generally done by people who really understand that stuff. Um, so it it happens uh, occasionally. You can you can bring in a better algorithm, or in in fact in Go um, there's a slices package which is using generics, um, and at the same time uh, slices dot sort has a better algorithm than than sort dot sort, or at least it did like a year ago when I first looked at it. I think they're I think they're the same algorithm now. Um, which is called PDQ sort. Uh, so there are there are still advances going on, e e even in that example, even in the world of sorting. But um, it's quite a yeah quite a minor thing. But it was it, I mean that that certainly happened that that what uh, in Prometheus I could uh, switch from using Go's sort package to Go's slices package, and 
along the way pick up this better algorithm yeah yeah uh, it's crazy that uh, something so uh, kind of fundamental in computing science like uh, sorting is still improving yeah but uh, uh, let's let's go into a little bit more uh, concrete examples before uh, before this talk i looked at um, Actually, both of your GitHub uh, like uh, pages. I saw that uh, Brian, you have over a hundred contributions in Prometheus, okay. and Bartek, you have a little bit less. So, uh, and I actually saw this PR where you changed the sorting from one to another, and I started googling why this is better. But uh, can you give us some more examples of uh, like optimizations that you have done in Prometheus? Oh, uh, well, I can I can remember one I did today. Uh, which was uh, um, so there's a there's you can use a thing called top k, um, which is a function. That, k k is a number like top ten or top a hundred, um, and uh, and I I looked at that and I I thought oh this is actually implemented wrong. I, again this this is a kind of standard pattern for me to jump to a conclusion, which then <laughs> turns out to be to be wrong. Um, so I actually, uh, I thought, yeah, that, that's, that, that's actually wrong. And I, I stepped through it in the debugger. Um, and after about half an hour, I realized, no, it was me that was wrong. Um, <laughs> but at this point I knew, I understood what the code was doing, which I didn't. That's why I made a mistake the first time. And, um, and I realized there's actually a little bit faster way. So what it does is it, it uses a, a data structure called a heap. So this is not like the memory management heap. This is the the word heap, um, meaning um, a, a an arrangement of basically a slice such that uh, the the first element is is less than everything that comes after it, and and there's a kind of a binary tree arrangement. Um, that's how a heap works. Um, yeah, and and the, the the Go standard library has the code for doing heap. Again, this is one of these things you might learn for doing a, a coding interview, um, but you don't need to because it's in the Go library. But yeah, cut a long story short, the um, the code for top k uh, every time it um, it found a new element to add uh, into the um, like top ten. Uh, it would uh, pop one off the, the heap and push one back on the heap. And and it turns out there's a routine on the heap library that just does that in one operation. Um, so it's it's called heap.fix instead of uh, pop and then push. Um, so that one that one just was just today. Uh, that, that one hasn't even merged. But um, it makes uh, top K go 30% faster on big uh, big data sets. Uh, so I was quite it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so question around premature optimizations. Why somebody who wrote it didn't use this function in the beginning? So it saved you three days of work. No, <laughs> I I don't know. Sometimes I go look at the Git history. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Let's not play. <laughs> might be me. Might be me. Honestly, because I was touching this code. No, um, honestly. Yeah, it might be that the fix operation was added to the Go standard library, because Prometheus has been around like eight years, something like that. Um, so it, it does happen that that the features of the standard library get improved, uh, and and somebody has to go around afterwards and and pick up on those changes. Um, yeah. 
So that's a, that's another one I did. Yeah, uh, and also I, I let's not blame initial author because I think generally you don't know something might be fast enough or good enough sometimes, right? Yeah. So... Yeah, that that that's something we should talk about in terms of the process. That that it, it it's nice to um, set a, a boundary or or a budget. You know, if you if you're trying to respond to a human, then somewhere around ten milliseconds, it doesn't it doesn't really get any better. Um, you know, if you get it down to ten milliseconds and then you get it down to one millisecond, nobody nobody can notice that difference. So um, so it is good to have a to have a, a sort of an idea of what's good enough. This is this is one of the most difficult, I think, things in optimizations because you it's hard to pick the number, honestly. What's your process for this? Like when uh, when would you say, okay, it's enough me optimizing Prometheus? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I I I do get to play the other card, which is is the TCO, the total cost of operation. You know, we're. We're effectively uh, at Grafana Labs. We're we're running effectively Prometheus hosted for um, thousands and thousands of, of people. So uh, even though one of them, one of those people can't notice it getting any faster, if we if we can drop our uh, computing bill by a few percent, that's that's worth doing. Also saves a little bit of carbon going into the air, uh, which is which is nice. Help the planet. Um, it, it it is a trade off. It's uh, I mean you you, you know you, you kind of you have to look for at least a few percent. I think um, uh, the going and and chasing a difference of one percent um, is is unlikely to be the good choice. Um, the chasing kind of fifty percent in a in a very mature program like Prometheus. Prometheus is going to be very, very difficult. Um, somewhere in the middle, you know, you, 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 in some corner of the functionality, you may be able to find ten percent or, or five percent. Um, and then the the good news is those things add up, right? If you, uh, if if you find four percent, and then a couple of weeks later you find six percent, and then, you know, if you if you kind of carry on like that. Um, what actually happens is the thing that was only one percent to begin with is that then turns out to be five percent because you've you've shrunk all the other things. Uh, so that's a kind of uh, joyous part of the the exercise. Interesting. Like I I was always wondering like um, you know as a developer like you are contributing some optimization and you know when do you stop? Um, like even for particular specific, you know, optimization, like there's always room for being better. Like it's a continuous process. You could go very deep. Uh, but then at some point, you know, as you, as we mentioned, there might be readability problems, like thing code is very complex. It will be very hard to maintain later on. Somebody might, you know, break it, break it and make it slower after you, you merge this. So are we not missing? Are we not missing any like document, any kind of like formal process, uh, generally in closed source, let's say? So we have requirements document. Why we don't have efficiency requirements, which talks about numbers? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I th those are those are hard to because it's it's the kind of uh, how long is a piece of string thing that somebody, so many variables. Some somebody who has. Um, 
some you know somebody who has a million time series will, will experience Prometheus going at a certain speed and somebody a hundred million time series will experience a different speed somebody who's querying uh, a year of data will experience a different speed so it's um, it's it's difficult to kind of nail down a set of statements that that covers all of those different people i i can tell you a few things about about kind of what comes into my head so one one thing is i'm i'm still aiming for readability um so i will quite often pull back from some ultimate op optimization because i think uh you know you can get 80 percent of the way there with with something which is much more readable then let's do that um and i'm i'm quite sensitive to lines of code uh if you look at the the changes the optimizations i've made in prometheus an awful lot of them make it faster and at the same time make this the code smaller uh which is um which is a nice uh which makes sense right more code lines to execute it's slower right? <laughs> yeah it, it, it does work yeah the two things work nicely together but um uh you know kind of finding a kind of a, a deeper understanding or a, a better factoring a better split of the problem into different pieces um is not always but um uh yeah so i'm i'm very pleased if the code gets smaller and therefore or at the same time but easier to read there's less of it to read that's that's usually nice um Go is quite nice in in that it, you can't do, you can't just cram all your code onto one line, like, you know, in in C or uh, or worse. Um, I, I once had to work in a language called K. Uh, yeah, K, K is actually used in uh, time series uh, most often with a with a time series database called KDB, and it's it's kind of patterned after APL. Um, it's kind of very mathematical uh, language, and um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't spare any like it, it doesn't it doesn't put any cost at all into trying to be helpful or trying to uh, give you any pointers along the way. Uh, it's just incredibly terse, incredibly fast. But I digress. Yeah, go um, go. You actually you pretty much cannot cram all your code onto one line um so that's nice because it it stops people trying to do that to to optimize and um uh yeah so i'm, I'm kind of counting lines you know if the thing if the thing gets bigger by two or three lines uh that, that that's probably okay if it gets like a lot bigger then it has to really be a lot faster um has to has to be really startlingly better to to be worth um putting that much cognitive load yeah. onto the reader so i wonder like is you know kind of golang um sounds like it, it has some optimization features uh, around you know profiling and benchmarking and so on you know we are able to have database which is very popular and kind of efficient like at what point would you would you personally say okay let's change the language let's rewrite it in rust 
For example, my idea, you know, there's actually carbon language coming. There are others. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is there any point that would um, uh, convince you? That's a good question. I um, so I guess I should uh, I should lay out my biases. Um, I I spent twenty years working in C plus plus. Um, I have not learned Rust. I've I've looked at it a little bit, but I think I think a lot of the ways in which you can make it go faster are are very similar. The the ways you make Rust go faster and the ways you make C plus plus go faster. Um, and I do think Rust is better, right? I I uh, I think Rust um, Rust has tools where you really have to work hard to convince the compiler uh, that your code is correct. Um, whereas a C plus plus, you know, m many 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 bits of code will compile and then do something you have no <laughs> yeah. idea what. Um, so yeah, the 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 idea of going to a different language. So I would I would do that um, if I had a clear idea why it was going to be better. Um, so Rust or C plus plus or C for that matter lets you have more control over pretty pretty much everything. You know exactly how things are laid out in memory, exactly how data structures work. Um, so there are a few things, uh, uh, you know, we were, we were discussing, uh, somebody else, um, was making a change to, to Prometheus and we were discussing whether that data structure should be a slice or a linked list. And, um, uh, so, so the intrusive linked list is, is an example of something that's quite hard to do in Go where where you yeah. you put the pointer the next pointer of your linked list in the object itself um and that uh is much more doable in in c and c++ i i probably in rust never tried it i wonder i wonder generally i don't see linked linked list a lot because right. it's it's kind of kills cacheability right that's the problem well Yes and no. I mean, they're they're very popular in the. There might be use cases for that in, still. in the Linux kernel. You know, an awful lot of things are are done that way. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, they certainly they they do have different cache behavior. Um, but comparing a, I, I think the specific case we had the two implementations. One was a slice of pointers, and then so the the alternate. So that one has the same kind of not very cache friendly behavior uh, a slice of pointers to objects compared to a, a linked list of objects where one points to the next um so that kind of thing you know if, if i thought there were a lot of cases where that level of control and um so another another case of being able to reuse the same memory as as different things uh so yeah. that that's some kind of a union type in c or discriminated yeah. union in in some other languages but go doesn't have that um so you 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 can kind of do it in go using unsafe you can um you can use the same bit of memory as an integer or as a pointer via the uh unsafe library um to the best of my knowledge okay, i guess you 
you can also have a structure and have two fields, two pointers, essentially, right? And uh, but that's that's then you are chasing the memory in different places. It's not like concise, uh, yeah, um, memory space. Right. Yeah. We're I'm talking about cases where you you really want to kind of get the ultimate out of the machine. Where where uh, I'm kind of talking about cases where where Go is just just doesn't have that feature. Uh, so that's one of them where where you 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 would reuse exactly the same memory for two different uh, types. So if there would be a project that requires uh, this unions type and linked lists, you would do it in Rust. <laughs> um, maybe I, I I think I I would I would have to think that there was a a big benefit to be had. It. Um, uh for Prometheus a big project it'd be a huge piece of work um I bet someone does it I mean I I uh I bet someone with a lot of energy comes along with the um Prometheus rust yeah or <laughs> interesting I have opinions that you know other things might suffer like even, you know, like accessibility for other contributors to add features, contribute back, read the code, you know, just, just anything would be just much slower um, in terms of development velocity. But but generally, yeah, um, like some performance uh, things would be nice to add to Go or use Rust for that. Okay, Brian, we have two last questions, I think, for you. Okay. Um, we were negotiating the background with Ivan what to ask so many <laughs> things, but time is limited. And uh, yeah, first question would be, I'm super, super curious. What's the biggest challenge in all the optimizations you've done to Prometheus? If you think, what's that just kind of like the biggest, the hardest thing to do to, to kind of understand on or you have to do go through to improve Prometheus efficiency? So, well, the, the, I think the biggest change I've, I've worked on, I'm still working on is, is changing the labels data structure. Um, so I'm something like a year into that. So I, I, I call it my yak shaving project. You know, the, the metaphor that you're, you're big hairy beast and you're, you're trying to take the hair off it. Um, the, uh, so the, so the labels are, are utterly fundamental to Prometheus. That's, that's how a time series is defined how you tell one time series from a different time series because it it has a different set of labels so the the um the challenge was that it's a slice of of pairs of strings and there were literally a thousand lines of code that assumed it was a slice and they could do things like append to a slice uh, range over a slice uh use nil as the value when I when I wanted to change the data structure so it wasn't a slice of those string pairs anymore, um, it uh, I had to edit a thousand lines of code, and um, so that took long enough. Um, I had to come up with abstractions because I I don't even think I've finished changing the data structure. I so the the biggest challenge was I couldn't change it at all without coming up with a whole new set of abstractions and then editing a thousand lines of code to use those abstractions. Um, and that was a big iterative process, big, big design process. Um, and uh, so that's, that was, that was shipped as a kind of optional build of Prometheus 
403. Uh, as as we record this, it was a couple of weeks ago, um, and people are people are reporting that it it's reduces the memory and the CPU, uh, maybe fifteen percent, something like that, um, which is nice. Crazy, crazy good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the the challenge um, the challenge was in in just the the size of the changes that had to be made and uh, coming up with. And, and and making it efficient as well um took a long time to to kind of balance the uh uh making it smaller and and not making it slower at the same time wow yeah so two huge challenges here was in my to my understanding was uh you know compatibility breaking so people got used to certain interface and we have to adjust it so it's much faster for everyone for basic operations that uh, hot operations i would say like the most used operations so i really admired you made a design doc that specifies under do the, did the research what operation is the most kind of used and and what is the most expensive one so we could optimize those and then if someone want to append like a normal slice then sorry we have to block this right yeah uh, so so and, and uh, yeah and the second one i forgot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing work. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, I have a last question. Uh, I'm changing gears a little bit. Uh, I saw a tweet from you recently uh, talking about uh, ChatGPT and kind of uh, uh, complaining about uh, how it's not super useful, right? Because it has these subtle uh, ways that it's wrong. Like it, it, it can pretend to be uh like super confident and it can give you all of these solutions but sometimes there's like subtle differences so like first uh, would you use uh, ai like that in your like day-to-day -day job and, and maybe second uh, would you use it for performance optimizations do you see it at some point you can just point it to the prometheus code base and say something like okay change how the labels data structure is uh, behaving and just let it do the job for you yeah so I, I I guess I think there's a there is a very exciting future um, in in those ideas and and I think it's not here now. Um, so yeah, I was I was kind of rage tweeting because uh, people <laughs> uh, people put things in front of me that that are generated by ChatGPT and and you you look at it and you think yeah that's that's pretty clever oh no no wait it's actually slightly wrong. <laughs> um, and well, it's both clever and wrong, usually, and it's wrong in really subtle ways that that you have to be a really deep expert to understand how wrong it is. And um, so, I, in terms of performance, I don't see why you couldn't kind of couple tools together. Like like you can have uh, the AI generate the hypothesis, the generate the potential solution, and then benchmark it. Yeah. Um, so if you have a, a decent set of unit tests, you can automatically find out that you you made a mistake. Um, if you have a decent set of benchmarks, you can automatically find out if it goes faster or not. Um, so if you kind of string the technology together that way, I, I think I think yes, that that potentially becomes a powerful tool. Um, potentially saves me doing it. Um, there is there is a lot of, of grunt work in this field of, of just trying things out and, and scratching your head and so on. So it's, um, it's called fuzzy fuzzing, right? 
Well, yeah, good point. Good point. F yeah, fuzz testing to, to try and crash programs. You kind of turn that around, fuzz testing to try and make them go faster. Um, yeah. I I am amazed at what I, what I see come out of the, the AIs, like uh, the, the large language models. Um, they... Yeah, it's 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 kind of unexpected behavior that if you if you download the entire internet, um, there's a lot of code there. There's a lot of people talking about ways that code can be improved, and and somehow the somehow the model can regurgitate that in very interesting ways. But um, I would uh, yeah, for me personally, I would want to couple it up to some tooling that uh, I don't I don't. You know, no, nobody bothers me with it until we already know that it passes unit tests and goes faster. Yeah, exactly. And if, this is a lovely observation because, like, it feels like there those tools are done by, I mean, language models. So, you know, and that done maybe by data or like AI scientists. And you know, sometimes you know, like even those questions around, okay, tell me why two plus two not equals four. And, you know, AI will tell you, yeah, it doesn't equal four because something, something. Come on, like, do, do this, <laughs> you know, check, double check the calculator first, then answer this question. But then, you know, this is why those tools are right now siloed, you know, the, the, the you know, let's say normal uh, verification tools and then AI. And, and, and that, that's where we need to wait for those things to integrate. And that would be, that would be must have. But right now, I think those are siloed. Like those, for example, yeah, all those chat GPT system are not search engines. The, so, so those two has to be somehow combined. And yeah, let's see what we'll see in the future. So lovely observation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really want uh, AI to write my Prometheus queries because I always forget how to do a left joint. So. Someday, yeah, someday. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Um, we are, yeah, we we are super grateful that Brian, you, you came to our, you are our first guest in our uh, new podcast. So wow. thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, thank you, thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. I I do love to talk about this stuff. Yeah, and um, yeah, hopefully we can we can make sure and I don't know maybe mentor or get other people to also contribute optimizations to other other projects, including Prometheus. Um, we need to kind of educate, uh, you know, developers or AI to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Right, thank you. Awesome. Okay, that was our main topic. Um, hmm. What's your main takeaway, Ivan, from from discussion? It was super super interesting. Yeah, I think it was uh, very informative. There were a lot of gems uh, that uh, people will find it interesting. To me, the biggest takeaway was that when you're optimizing something, no matter how complex of a system, distributed system, or whatever it is, there are like so many layers where things can uh, be optimized. Like, and even in the examples that he gave, uh, in, at some point you have to go to the programming language and optimize the programming language, or uh, maybe you have to go to the actual machine and see how it is behaving in order to optimize a system that depends on a system that depends on a system that uses this machine, right? Mm, so I, I think there are a couple of uh, interesting uh, points here. The first one is that uh, you kind of have to be curious. You can't just uh, say, oh, I have this API, it is a little bit slow. Let me see what the API is actually doing and stop there. Sometimes it's a dependency or, yeah, you can go many layers uh, down. And uh, the second uh, point here is that uh, it's not always your fault. 
<laughs> and I think that's yeah. uh, uh, especially useful for like uh, maybe beginners, right? If if you see something and uh, it's very easy to say, oh, I'm stupid or it's very slow because I did some mistake. Well, maybe in most cases that's the case, but uh, not always. Uh, sometimes uh, issues go very deep. Yeah. What totally. what uh, what is your main takeaway? Yeah, I think uh, first of all, it's it's interesting that um, you you know like Brian had to build a lot of experience, right? To to for example, like understand when to when to stop optimizing, and and it was it's not like a one number that that he that that you know you are chasing when we are optimizing. So for example, yeah, that certain functionality of Prometheus should be faster than one second. No, it is like what I can, um, what I think I can kind of reduce, right? In terms of maybe extra work that that should be should be removed. Uh, what what I can optimize and and the, he was only kind of like guessing. Okay, is this needed or like take like uh, essentially questioning every you know important piece of code so i really found this interesting that you know you you have to build this expertise you can kind of kind of work towards that um and you can always do this you can always understand why something happens i think when i when i st was starting this journey into optimizations i was kind of afraid that i will never reveal that because i was kind of spending time and time and time and never actually maybe yeah. um finding anything useful or still getting confused but I can tell you, and, and, and Brian told us as well, is that at some point you can get to the root cause of, of all the things. And for example, like, you know, algorithm and all of this, like slowly unpack the most important parts, we know, with profiling, with, with the biggest bottleneck, and then try to understand, you know, why something is happening, why certain CPU, you know, operation is, uh, is, is, is processed so many times. And, and perhaps the answer is that, it didn't make sense, right? And you can kind of remove that. And <laughs> there is no like number, strict, you know, process or, or um, you know, we can we can kind of like go towards that and, and build a tactic in our minds, but generally it's a judgment, it's an experience. Um, so you should do it, you should jump into it and try to do it and test your hypothesis. Amazing. Okay, so um, that's it. Uh, please um, rate us on, on the podcasting platforms. You know, I wish there were GitHub stars. I want GitHub stars for that, but <laughs> unfortunately, no GitHub stars, but there are other stars. Um, so yeah, rate us, let us know what you think, what you like, what you dislike. We are gathering feedback. We are optimizing this podcast, of course, as well. Yeah, and uh, the Google form that we are collecting feedback on is uh, in the description of our episodes. So yeah, it please follow the Thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>